The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Now, I want to get into something that's kind of interesting because most people just assume that there are two kinds of people. People who want to have guns and people who don't want anybody to have guns. And most people fall into one of these categories. However, though, there has been a resurgence or a rise in a new group of people who, interestingly enough, would usually fall into the category of not wanting anybody to have guns. And now they're realizing that, you know what, maybe it's time for me to get a gun. And they're calling them reluctant, the rise of the reluctant gun owner. And this is interesting because these are people who probably would never want a gun in their eyes. I would say they wouldn't. But then again, they see what's going on. They see the, the violence increasing throughout cities. They see less and less police officers on duty and counties and cities and uh, places having um, a difficult time trying to um, get police officers because, you know, it, it's – it's funny when they um when they tell a police officer we're not going to protect your rights we're not going to stand behind you when we're when something like that is ha- when something's happening and when you're in a situation then of course the police officers are less likely to want to serve and it's going to take certain people to do that anyway but uh I guess a lot of people who are police officers have a certain sense of duty or a sense of wanting to help people and things like that but in this case, a lot of these people are, are losing that desire. They don't want to be involved in something where their city or their county or their state legislators are not going to support them or their their superiors, the police chiefs, the politicians that are in charge of what they do are not going to stand behind them in the event of some questionable act or some something with um, – with a, a couple of ways to look at it or something that may go the wrong way in a situation. So they're likely to avoid those situations, and a lot of them want to avoid it by just getting into a new line of work. They may go into private security. They may go into stock trading. I don't know. But it's kind of unusual that these these cops don't want to – they don't want to put their life on the line for people who don't appreciate it. And what that does for people is make them realize, you know what, I can't depend on the police officers necessarily to be there when I need them to be. Now, granted, most police officers would rather serve and do a better job, but the politicians are in control of police forces in this country. And don't let anybody else tell you anything different. Unfortunately, politics control most police departments, and I'm sure most police officers would rather have nothing to do with most of the politics involved in what runs a lot of their departments. So these people are realizing, you know, with less police doing their jobs, with less police willing to take chances to do the right thing, it might be time for me to be my own first responder. Yep, that's right. You have to be your own first responder. You have to be the first line of defense in your household. You have to be the one to defend your family, yourself, your property, because no one else is going to be there to do do it for you. When when seconds count, cops are minutes away. And it's not because they don't want to be there. They would rather be that first line of defense. But with with police forces shrinking, 
with uh, different attitudes being taken by politicians toward police officers doing their jobs, you're going to end up in a place where you're going to have to be responsible for your safety. No one's going to do it for you. You're going to have to be the one to stand there when someone's trying to beat down your door because you can't count on somebody else to be there for you when you need them the most necessarily. Now, they will come afterwards. They will draw chalk lines around you where you lay on the floor if you can't defend yourself. They will draw chalk lines around your family, your family dog, whatever, when you can't or will not take the responsibility of defending yourself or defending your household. So what this does is it's it's interesting because it's forcing people who normally would never even consider a gun to now look at it and go, you know, it might be time to learn self-defense. It might be time to learn how to defend myself and my family because apparently it's not going to be something I can count on from a government standpoint. Now, granted, the police are still there. They're doing their jobs. The ones that are still there are doing their jobs to the best of the ability that the politicians will let them. And I'm sure most police officers will tell you the politics involved in most of their policy and things like that is what bothers them the most because they would like to do their job as they see fit, do the best thing for the people that they can, that they're serving, and not have to worry about the politics. But unfortunately, politics is driving people from being able to feel comfortable about having enough police to defend them in their neighborhoods and everything. So they're getting out there and they're buying their first gun. And this is not a bad thing. I mean, people who have guns and know how to use them, armed citizens are what freed this country from tyranny 250 years ago. That's what happened. Armed citizens decided to stand up against the tyranny of the government and take care of themselves. Now, same thing here, except that the tyranny is coming from criminals, from outlaws, from people who don't ob- abide by the law, from lawbreakers who want to take what you have, and they know that the government will not stop them. They don't have enough resources to stop them from committing robberies, burglaries, assaults, things like that. They don't have enough manpower to cover this. So you are going to have to step up. You hear that? If you don't have a weapon yet or you're thinking about it, this is your call. This is your wake-up call to get up, get out there, buy something to protect yourself, get something to protect yourself with. Now, not, not everybody's going to want a gun. Some people will rely on added security. Some people are going to add extra locks or reinforce doors or, you know, window locks, things like that to help defend them without having to be take an active role in it. And that's fine. Anything you do is going to help. <clears throat> but if it comes down to it and you have to face an intruder on your own and the police aren't there, can you do it? Are you going to be able to defend yourself? Yeah. I mean, you might be great with a mop handle. I don't know. You might be able to, to disarm intruders and knock people to the ground using a simple mop handle. I don't know. I may not be that capable, especially against someone with a firearm. I want to be armed equally with the people who are trying to do harm against me, my family, or my property. I want to be able to stand up to them toe-to-toe and say, if you want to do this, I am going to be the hardest person you've ever tried to kill. That's the key. That's what you should think about. When you're training, when you get your first gun and you're on the range, 
don't just concentrate, concentrate on the, uh, you want to concentrate on the basics, sight, picture, grip, things like that. And once you get to the point where that becomes second nature, then I want you to run this thought through your head. When you're shooting at that target, you're going to be thinking, okay, I'm defending my household. My wife, my kids, my dog, they're all in the back room. I'm the first line of defense between them and this intruder. I want to be hard to kill. So you make yourself as defensible as possible. You learn to be the best shot you can. Make every shot count. Be able to come with follow-up shots. And when you start training, you're going to start off just standing in a regular, you know, uh, feet shoulder width apart, arms out, very stable platform, and you're going to shoot at a target straight down the the range line, and you're going to go for the bullseye as best you can with repeated shots, probably at a slow to medium pace, trying to get your your uh, basics right. You want to get the the basics right because if you have a good basic understanding and you have good basic training, you're going to learn to get the basics right. Then after that, you're going to want to increase that level. You can't just go every single week to the range and practice the same three targets with two boxes of ammo and call it a day. You need to increase your difficulty level. You need to push your limits. You need to be able to be better than somebody who's trying to take your life or threaten your family. You need to be better than them. You need to be hard to kill. That's your ultimate goal in training. And if you think about that while you're training, it's going to give you motivation. It's going to give you an emotional setting that you're going to need when it comes down to defending your family. And it's, it is difficult to put yourself in that situation because adrenaline flows. You lose your fine motor skills. Your vision can narrow. In a situation like that, your physical Skill has to be pushed to the point of being almost instinct. You need to know how to pull that trigger every time and maintain control, maintain a target picture, maintain your grip. And you need to practice that from varying angles. You need to put up, like say, one thing I like to do with people once they've got past the basic stage is hang a couple of targets out there. Like I like paper plates because they're easy to get. They're a good size and you can hang two of them amongst target hangers. Then I'll tell people what I want is one, two, three, and then three, two, one. I want you to put one in the target on the left, two in the target on the right, three in the target on the left, then start over again, one with the target on the right, two with the target on the left, three target on the on the right. And you're going to keep doing that. You're going to change your sighting position so you don't just stand there and aim at the same spot over and over again. You're going to change that position. And you're going to learn to reacquire your sight picture as quickly as you can. This is a really basic exercise that makes shooting more fun, too. Because, you know, everyone knows you go to the range, you shoot the same silhouette target for a box of ammo. You pick, you do some headshots, you do some chest shots, and that's pretty much it, and you're done. Add some fun to your shooting and add something that will give you a skill that you don't have now. Push yourself. But whenever you're pushing yourself... Be extremely acutely aware of the safety factors. Don't do anything that's going to endanger you or anybody else on the range, but it's only going to push your skill to be better without putting you in any danger or anybody else in any danger. That's one thing when you learn to draw from a holster. That's probably one of the hardest things for a lot of people to learn because they don't know how to do it, and they're trying to do it too fast. When you first learn to draw from a holster, you want to go slow. 
You want to go extremely slow. You want to be able to make each movement. You want to account for each and every movement. You want to pull your gun out of the holster, finger off the trigger. You never want to put that finger on the trigger until you are up on target and ready to fire. That's one of the basic rules of handgun safety, and the rules of handgun safety apply throughout any kind of training. There are very few situations where you do not want to have those rules apply. That's in extreme levels of training. There might be some cases where you have to bend those rules a little bit. But until you get to that point, you need to abide by the rules of gun safety entirely 100%. So when you learn to draw from a holster, the first thing you're going to do is put your hand down on your weapon. Get your grip. And that's, it sounds easy, but no, it's not. You have to grip it. The idea is you can grip it exactly how you need to with every finger in place with your strong hand. That's how you start. And when you, and you can do it as fast as you want, but don't pull the weapon out of the holster until you're to that stage. But your first stage is grip the gun, throw your hand on it quickly, and then you check it and make sure it's gripped correctly. If you come up too high or too low or get your fingers tangled up in your holster, you may not have the right holster for what you need to do. But as you get to the point where you can grab it cleanly, easily, and have a have a position set when you put your hand on that weapon it's in the right position then you want to draw it out of the holster now this is something you want to do in a clean motion as quickly as you can without going too fast until you learn how to do it better and again finger off the trigger and make sure your holster works for this make sure your holster isn't too tight Make sure it's not too loose to where it's going to flop on the ground if you try and pull it out or if it catches on anything. And you draw the gun out, and then you observe your grip one more time. You want to make sure you're high up on the back strap. You want to make sure your finger's lined up on the side. Your fingers are wrapped around the front. Your thumb is pushed down on the left side of the weapon. Do that as many times as necessary. Now, a lot of these things you can do at home. You don't have to go to the range to practice drawing a weapon out of a holster. You know, the live fire is the very last part, and you should already be well-versed in that before you get to the point of trying to draw a weapon out of a holster. That's going to be a more advanced thing. And I know it looks easy in the movies, and they do it all the time. But a lot of times, if you watch movies after you have some training, you'll see the flaws. You'll see the guy gripping the gun so far down, it's it's barely in his hand. You'll see, you know, his fingers in the wrong place. I saw once some guy had his thumb on the back on the back of the weapon, meaning it would basically keep it from cycling. But he was shooting away, and that's how the movie went. So be aware of that. You know, look at what you're doing. Make sure you do it correctly. And don't try and get rid of bad habits later. Try not to learn any bad habits, especially if you are just starting out. You have a blank slate. You have the easiest way to do things the right way. And if you do try and go on YouTube and learn from that, there are people you should learn from and people you should not learn from. So if you have somebody who has a lot of experience, that would be the ideal thing. Or get somebody who is a renowned expert. See if they can help you. All right, we'll be right back after this. I'm going to cover a little bit more of beginning gun training. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Attention veterans, America's Web Radio has a contest just for you. We are giving away an AR-15 style weapon to a lucky veteran. If you are a veteran or active duty, you can enter for a chance to win by submitting an entry form at americaswebradio.com slash giveaway. That's americaswebradio.com slash giveaway. Please read the official rules for more information. Good luck, and thank you for listening. 
veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And right before we left for the break, we were talking about learning pistol technique for someone who has not had any training prior to that and what it would take to do that and things you have to practice. Now, I say a lot of this practice can be done without actually going to a range or being in a shooting situation. Now, I can't stress this enough. If you are using an actual weapon when you trained at home or when you practice things, double check, triple check, quadruple check to make sure that gun is not loaded every time you pick it up. I mean, it's just, it sounds stupid and it seems redundant, but there's going to be people who will accidentally have a round in there from when they went to the range last or forget that they had a magazine in there from when they were shooting or when they had it loaded sitting in their desk drawer and they forgot they loaded it. It doesn't take but, you know, five seconds to check it one more time. Even if you left it after training and you walk back to it, it, get in the habit of looking at it again. Wouldn't It can never hurt to check one extra time, especially when you're just working on training. So be fully aware of that. And if you want to, they even have chamber flags you can use. It's a little plastic T-shaped thing that fits inside the chamber. The only thing it does, it does stick out a little bit. And as long as it doesn't interfere with your grip at all, you can leave it in while you're training. If it doesn't interfere with your grip or interfere with you holstering the weapon in the holster you have. So keep that in mind, too. That's a good safety tip to use while you're just starting out, especially. But eventually, you're going to get rid of that. You're going to have it in that holster, and you're going to practice drawing from that holster. And after you pull the gun out, when you first pull the gun out, you want to look at it and see your hand. Is it gripped properly around the weapon? Do you have to shift it a little bit to get it where you want it to be? Or is it already in the position you want it to be when you pull it out of that holster? If it's not in the right position, shift it where it needs to be, see where your hands are, and put it back in the holster and pay attention to where your hand lands on the gun. Pay attention to where it sits. That's the way you need to grip it when you're going to come out of the holster too. You want it to be in the correct position when you come out of that holster. So practice that a bunch of times. It's easy to do. And make sure every time consistency is the key. Once you have it right... Work on keeping it consistent. And it's one of the hardest things to do because I don't think humans are meant for ideal computer-type consistency, but that's what you want to have. The more consistent you are, the better off your training will be. And it's funny because, like I said, a lot of these people have never even handled a gun before, these reluctant gun owners. And uh, I just, I'm glad to see there's people getting out there and buying guns that have never bought them before. And it's it's weird. They were talking about in Florida, they had a huge influx of Jewish people who were coming to buy guns because of the uh, Hamas attacks in Israel. 
Now, if you haven't seen any of that, you can probably still find some of it, but you can look at what happened there. These guys parachuted, hang glided in, started shooting everybody on the ground with no regard for who they were, young, old, kids, men, women, children, it didn't matter. They were killing everybody. And that's a situation you would never hope to live through at all. You know, you don't want to have to live through that type of threat. But if you did, would you be prepared? Would you have what it took to at least provide some sort of defense? Or do you have a place that you can defend better than your home? Or a room in your house that you can defend better than another room? I mean, it's it was hard because these people were put in a situation where even if they had weapons, it happened so quickly and there was not they didn't know what was going on. That's the thing. You hear gunfire, sometimes your first sometimes your first response is to go look and see where's that coming from? What is that? As you learn more and more about this, you're going to know, you know what? I need to know where it's coming from as far as direction goes. Then I need to get my weapon, be prepared to defend myself. Then I can go further. Then I can maybe open a door or look out of a window and see what's going on, trying to assess the situation. If you're not under immediate threat of fire, find out what's going on before you go and throw yourself into the mix. And that's another thing. These people, you know, uh, it's funny because a lot of people get ideas from movies. And sometimes the movies have great scenes that are accurate, that are, you know, what you should do in certain situations. Now, some of them are extremely advanced training situations where until you spend years training or months training consistently, these are not maneuvers or strategies that you're going to use. Start off with the basics, work your way up. It's like, um, it's like, oh, the in the John Wick movies, what's his name? Keanu Reeves. He actually went through training it at Taron Butler's, um, I guess, courses. He took the courses. He learned how to use the weapons. He did not want to look like the guy who didn't know what he was doing. He wanted to practice with real weapons, learn how to shoot for real, and be very good at it. That's why a lot of the John Wick movie scenes look so good, is because he actually has training with real weapons. All the weapons he was using, he was training with all of those, the actual weapons. So, And that, and that's good that actors want to do that. I think, what's his name, Bradley Cooper wanted to do the same thing when he was in um, the A-Team movie. He wanted to learn how to change an AR-15 magazine to where he looked like he knew what he was doing. He wanted to do it accurately and correctly. And actors who take this stance, I admire you. You can learn how to use a real weapon. Then when you do it in the movies, it's going to look better. And people who know are going to appreciate that better. They're not going to be able to say, oh, what an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. They're going to say, that looks like exactly what you should be doing. He changed that magazine flawlessly. You know, he put the old one dropped. He grabbed the new one. It was on its way to the magwell before the first one even hit the ground. You know, and that's something you learn with practice, though. And anybody can learn these things. It's just a matter of taking the time to do it. And you have to decide maybe ahead of time, what level do I want to work towards? Do you just want to be able to use the weapon safely? Do you want to be able to have some tactical training? Do you want to be able to draw from a holster or are you just going to leave your, your weapon in your, in your, uh, nightstand drawer in a box or just sitting in the drawer? Are you going to keep it loaded with one in the chamber or are you just going to leave a magazine in it and have to cycle it before you need it? You know, any way you want to keep it is fine. It depends on how much training you want to get. How prepared do you want to be? 
and only do what you're comfortable with. If you're not comfortable leaving a loaded and condition one weapon in your nightstand drawer, then don't do it. And I would not leave a weapon in a drawer without a holster anyway in that condition. That would be ideal for me. I would leave it in a holster so I could grab the whole holster and clip it on, put it on. Now, of course, if you're pajamas, you're not wearing a belt with your pajamas, that's going to be a little more difficult. You'll have to pull it out of the holster first and then go clear the room, clear the house, clear the hallway, clear the yard, whatever you have to do with it. But you'll be ready, you know, and I'd rather you have it, you know, not loaded in condition one, have the magazine in it, not one in the chamber. If you're not comfortable doing that, if you're not used to carrying a gun in that condition, then don't do it until you are. Now, if you get to that point where you feel like, you know what, it's in a holster, I can draw it out of my holster, I'm going to wear this every day, you want to carry it condition one, then start doing it. But if you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. Only do what you're comfortable with. And as you go through more training, especially if you train with people who who know, always try and train with someone who knows more than you do. That's the best way to learn anything. Any kind of skill is usually acquired through someone who knows more than you do. Because there, it's going to trickle down. And again, if you're watching YouTube videos to try and learn this, be careful who you watch. Because there are some people out there who, let's just say, bad habits are their bread and butter. And you do not want to learn bad habits. And if you don't know who to watch, um, I'm trying to think if there's certain people I would recommend there are, but I, their names, there's the Zen, oh, what is it, the Zen or Art of the Handgun. That's probably one of the very best ones. And I forgot who does that one. I think it's, uh, there's two guys involved in that. And they're both of military background. And they do a great job from the very beginning. I mean, from the classic, how you hold the gun, how you put your hands, how you put your fingers, where that gun should ride in your palm. And, uh, that's the kind of thing you want to start with, the very basics. And that way you understand a lot of the physics of what's going on. Like when you grip your gun with two hands and you have a big gap in the back of your hands, your palms aren't meeting in the back, that's going to be where all that recoil is going to go. It's going to go wherever it's not stopped. It's going to take the path of least resistance. So there are a few things I can tell you. One, keep if you possibly can, if the gun's not too big for your hands, close the gap all the way around the gun. Keep it held tightly. That will mitigate most of the recoil and keep it to a minimal amount of movement so you're able to have fast follow-up shots. And this is something you just practice when you draw. Now, when you draw, you want to pull your weapon out of your holster with the grip on it with your strong hand. Then you want to marry it up to the other hand. Now, this is where people, you have to take time with this step. This takes time to do properly. You pull it out. You want to wrap your fingers around the fingers on the hand that are already on the gun. You want to close that gap at the back. You want to make sure when you bring that weapon up to the to your eye level, the sight picture should be almost already lined up with very little adjustment. If it's not, then make the adjustments in your grip to where you pull it out of that holster, marry it to the other hand, and you are lined. your sights are lined up. And it takes practice, lots of practice to get good at it. And once you get good at it, though, and it becomes instinct, then you're going to be able to move on. Then you're going to be able to learn more tactical shooting. Because, like I said, if you see these videos from Israel, these guys came down and were shooting everybody. And you would have to be efficient. You would have to be proficient in order to defend yourself against this kind of attack. And it was just, it's horrific to see some of that. And I recommend you see it. If you can find the videos on that, they're out there. 
And uh, most of them are adult restricted, so be prepared, you know, to ID yourself as a <clears throat> as a 21 and up adult on most of these videos because YouTube does have, um, I guess, restrictions on who can view them, and they'll tell you whether they're violent or not. And these are ridiculously violent. They were just shooting everybody they saw in the back and the front. Didn't matter. They were just out to kill as many people as they possibly could. And you see this, and you wonder. You know, why doesn't Israel do something? Well, they are. They're in a war. And you you can understand why the country itself wants to go to extremes. The world is saying, oh, no, you're killing innocent children and women. Well, you know what? They voted for the Hamas government to be their government. That's who they voted for to run their country. And if you vote for that and you don't turn people in when they're doing that, yes, you're putting yourself at risk to talk to the wrong people. But you know what? You put yourself at risk like that, or you put yourself at risk when there's retaliation from a country that you're attacking. So it's, uh, you know, I don't find there's as many innocent people as people will claim there to be. You know, everyone who votes for a terrorist government to run your country, you're not voting in your own best interest. All right, we'll be right back after a few messages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Attention veterans, America's Web Radio has a contest just for you. We are giving away an AR-15-style weapon to a lucky veteran. If you are a veteran or active duty, you can enter for a chance to win by submitting an entry form at americaswebradio.com slash giveaway. That's americaswebradio.com slash giveaway. Please read the official rules for more information. Good luck, and thank you for listening. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and we're back. This is Roger B. on Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And right before we left for the break, we were talking about training. We were talking about very basic things you need to learn if you want to become the most proficient and safe as possible when it comes to using a firearm. Now, I'm going to make the assumption that most people probably live in a suburban or urban environment and your first line of defense will probably be a handgun of some sort. Now, granted, if you're in a in a rural area, you may carry a rifle in your truck also. But most people in a city or in a neighborhood or suburban or even outskirts of town are going to be in a situation where a pistol is going to be their first line. Pistol or handgun is going to be their first line of defense. And the reason I said pistol or handgun, because pistol is actually a semi-automatic Handgun, while a revolver is still a pistol, is still a handgun, but not a pistol. But anyway, that's technicalities. Anyway, you're going to have this handgun, and you're going to learn how to use it, and that's going to become your first line of defense. Now, am I saying don't call the police if something happens? Absolutely not. 
always, if you or some one of your family's there, have them call the police the minute you think there's any kind of threat happening. You want to use the police to your best ability always. Turns out they may show up before you have to encounter any evil, which would be the ideal situation. Let them handle it. They're the professionals. Just let them know on the phone where you are. I'm in the house. I'm in a back room. I have a gun with me. You know, if the police announce themselves as they're supposed to, then, you know, you put the gun down immediately when you hear people announcing themselves as law enforcement officers. This is crucial. Now, that would be something you want to make sure you do. And it's going to be hard, or at least make sure, as always, your weapon is pointed in a safe direction. Make sure you don't endanger any of your family members while you're trying to defend them. <laughs> that would kind of eliminate the whole purpose of being your own first responder. You don't want to end up shooting your family members or your dog or your hamster or whatever else or your goldfish bowl. Make sure those are all safe. And, but if you do have to have an encounter with a bad guy, with a criminal, with a potential murderer, robber, mugger, whatever it may be, make sure you are prepared. Because I'll be honest, most criminals are probably not very well trained. They watch movies, that's their training, and they just assume everything they point at they're going to hit. And if you start training, you're going to realize it is not as easy as it looks. Everyone says, oh, guns are so easy. You know, you just point and shoot. It's like, yeah, you try that at 20 yards and see how many times you hit a 12-inch plate. You hit a 12-inch target. 12 inches a foot across. That's a pretty big target. You put it at 20 yards away and see how many times you hit it as a first-time shooter. I'll be shocked if you get one out of five. You know, assuming you've had good instruction, you might be able to get three out of five. But, you know... Eventually, you want to hit five out of five and you want to keep it tight within a three or four inch group. At least it better than that. More power to you. You know, now granted, there are limitations on the weapons, the ammunition, things like that are going to limit how accurate you can be. But if you can stand there and take 10 seconds to fire five rounds and put them all in a plate on, say, a six inch area at 20 yards, you're ready to start going faster. You're ready to start drawing from a holster and then begin shooting. That's where your crucial first grip comes in handy. That's where your crucial first grip on the weapon is going to make a huge difference to your first shot. Because I say most encounters with criminals, especially in your own house, are going to be very limited. Usually one or two shots is all that's fired. And criminals don't want to encounter an armed citizen. They do not want to get shot. They're lazy. That's why they're robbing people in the first place. They're trying to, you know, hurt people. They're trying to find the easiest way. And as long as you put up some resistance and they know it's there, sometimes that's enough to stop an encounter right then and there. You can't count on that, but it could be the way you stop people from from pursuing you or from thinking this is you're going to be a soft target. Remember, you're not a soft target. You are going to be hard to kill. You want to be the hardest person to kill they have ever run across. That's your goal. That's what you're training for. And that's another thing. Like I said, when you're shooting those targets, when you're learning how to draw from a holster, you have to put your mind in that mindset. You have to know, this is why I'm doing this. And it's easy to just think of training as a game. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to shoot these targets. I'm going to do this. Oh, what was my score? Oh, I missed one. Oh, man, I'm going to do better next time. That's fine. But think about if I miss... 
somebody is going to be coming after me with a gun. Somebody is coming at me with a gun. If I miss, I'm going to give them a shot. And you don't want to do that. You want to practice with the with intention. You want to have intention when you practice. And at first, you're going to be so focused on getting the basics right and getting your grip, your sight picture, you know, lining up with the target, standing the right way. That's not your focus. But as you get past that, when it starts getting boring and you go, okay, I can do this in my sleep, then start putting yourself in the mindset. Start thinking, why am I doing this? Who am I defending? Who's behind me? Who am I keeping these people from getting to? And then, you know, as you increase your speed, as you get more proficient, you're going to keep that in your mind, and then you won't give up. I've shot with people in competitions before, and, you know, they get frustrated. They miss a couple shots, and they just kind of walk away. And I'm thinking, you don't want to do that if you're training to defend your life or the life of your family or your property. You want to keep, if you have to take a pause, take a breath, reset, and go at it again, by all means, finish whatever you're doing. Make sure you complete it. Make sure you complete the task. Like I say, this is a game that you're playing, but in the real life scenario, this game has deadly consequences. And you want to be trained better than anybody you're playing against. I know it sounds funny, but it's true. I mean, mindset has a lot to do with it. If you're thinking, oh, it's just a competition, it's not a big deal, I'll do better next time, that's fine. But you got to think while you're doing that competition, what am I doing here? What am I practicing for? What is my ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is to be able to defend myself, my family, my property without hesitation with the very best skill set I can learn, I can muster. And it's hard because in that arena, in that area, if you run into a situation where you're actually defending your life, if someone is threatening you with a weapon, that's when your body is at its least capable that's why instinct becomes so important and you can't, you can't let them win mentally. You can't just decide, oh, I'll start over again. You don't hit the reset button when you're in the middle of an exercise and start over again. You hit the reset button, you reset, you do a quick reset and you focus on what you're doing and you continue till you're done. Don't let a mistake mess you up for the entire course of fire what you're doing. You do the best you can. You realize it. You think of it as a real-life scenario, and that's the best way to do it. Think of the reason why you're doing it. Put yourself in a real-life situation. Put yourself in a mental space where you realize what you're doing this for. And it's hard because you're in the range. You're thinking, oh, it's just practice. It's not anything too severe. But you got to see, what am I practicing for? What's the point of this? Then when you think about it like that, your whole attitude is going to change. You're going to focus harder. You're going to concentrate more on what you're doing, and you're going to work to make those movements completely instinctual. You don't want to have anybody be able to get the the drop on you because you are not prepared. You want to be prepared as possible. And this requires some practice. Now, if you're just going to have that gun and throw it in your your, uh, nightstand drawer and let it sit there and never use it, you know, that's you may get lucky. You may get lucky. I just, but at least practice gun safety, if nothing else. Practice gun safety. If you're going to be that guy who never touches his gun unless he's, you know, unless he goes to the range once a year or once every two or three years, you know, then I don't know if you want to carry it or have it in your nightstand drawer fully loaded condition one. If you do, at least have it in a holster. 
and be prepared. And again, always check the gun twice, three times, whatever it takes to make sure it's not loaded. I never want to hear anybody within the sound of my voice using, I didn't know it was loaded as an excuse. Just think of that when you check it. You go, I checked it five minutes ago. You know what? It takes five seconds to check it again. Make sure no one came along, did anything to it, especially if it's out of your sight. Even if you think you're alone, it does, just get in the habit of checking it. That's all I'm saying. Because you never know. If you're on a range, someone could, you know, come by and mess with your stuff. If you walk out for a minute to go to the restroom, don't assume it's like you left it. In fact, if you're training, once you get past a certain stage, you're going to get to the point where they will load your magazine for you, hand it to you, you fire. When it stops, jams or misfires, you're going to have to be able to remove the magazine, clear the jam, reload the weapon as quickly as you can. And that's the way you train for that. You can't know it's going to happen and be able to train to the best of your ability. You're going to have to have something happen that you don't plan for. That you're not expecting. When you pull that trigger and it doesn't go bang, you have to learn what the procedure is for that. And I'll run over that real quickly here. I'm not going to try and train you over the radio. But you have a click. Boom. Okay, your first thing. You're going to glance at the top of the weapon. See if there's a jammed shell. See if there's a double feed. See if a bullet didn't go all the way in. Whatever it may be. The first thing you want to do is if you can not see anything obvious, if you don't see a bullet jammed in there, you're going to rack the slide. Maybe it didn't pick one up. You're going to tap the magazine. I'm sorry. Tap the magazine, hit it from the bottom, rack the slide, and then try it again. If it still doesn't fire at that point, remove the magazine. You might want to glance at it make sure it's not empty. And then you're going to rack the slide two or three times, look down into the chamber make sure there's nothing in there is it clear is it is there nothing in there is there no empty shells jammed anywhere is there no empty shell inside the chamber is there not a live round in the chamber which didn't go off all things you need to check if you rack the slide two or three times that should clear anything out once the magazine is removed so you're going to remove the magazine rack the slide two or three times put the magazine back in rack the slide again and continue to fire Assuming nothing was damaged in the weapon either. Assuming it's a good weapon and the ammo is good, everything's working right, that would be, you want to get that gun up and running as soon as possible. Now, this is something that throws a lot of people off because you're so used to every time you pull that trigger, when there's ammunition in that weapon, it goes bang and it functions properly. Modern weapons are extremely reliable. And it's rare to see a misfire or something like that, but it happens. Sometimes it's the gun's fault. Sometimes it's the magazine's fault. Sometimes it's the ammunition's fault. And you see, you'll watch, if you watch videos about people who are like testing out weapons, you'll see a lot of jams on videos like this because when weapons are new, they're very tight and they tend to have tighter clearances, less lubrication than once they've been used a little bit. Because you want to make sure a lot of guns need to be lubed from the factory. They don't have a lot of lube on them. And you want to make sure there's lubrication on that weapon when you're using it because it has to make sure all the parts are moving properly. Everything's working as it should. So when you drop the magazine, now, ideally, you want to pull the magazine out and put it in your hand because a lot of times you don't have an extra magazine with you. If that's your only magazine and you have a jam, pull it out into your hand, look inside the the chamber. If nothing's in there, reinsert the magazine, rack the slide, Get back on target. Get that gun up and running. If you see something jammed in there, then you're going to have to put the magazine in a pocket in a magazine pouch, clear the jam, 
and then proceed from there. And then put the magazine back in. But first you want to just tap the magazine up, rack the slide, and see if that fixes it. If the slide doesn't go all the way forward when you rack it, then you need to pull the magazine out. So it's just it's things you learn as you go. And like I said, the first thing you do is observe. Now, when you observe it, though, don't pick that gun up, point it at the ceiling, and look at it from the top. You want to hold it down, pull it down below your sight line, then you can see down into it, and it's still pointed in a safe direction. That's crucial to obey the laws of gun safety no matter what exercise you're working on. You want to have the laws of gun safety obeyed, and you want to have them crucial to what they're doing. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. Attention veterans, America's Web Radio has a contest just for you. We are giving away an AR-15 style weapon to a lucky veteran. If you are a veteran or active duty, you can enter for a chance to win by submitting an entry form at AmericasWebRadio.com slash giveaway. That's americaswebradio.com slash giveaway. Please read the official rules for more information. Good luck, and thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Now, before we left for the break, we were talking about training. We were talking about holster draw. We were talking about clearing jams in your in your semi-automatic pistols. Now, see, with the revolver, you know, if uh, the only thing that can cause a jam is if something doesn't fire all the way or jams up the cylinder versus the frame, which is extremely unlikely, and almost nobody ever trains for that because it it's happened happens so very rarely. Usually, you just pull the trigger again, and you get a second round to fire, and that's it. If it's a bad primer, bad bad round, you can just pull the trigger again and fire it again. So, but the semi-automatics are a little more complicated. Require a little bit more training to work properly. And that's something you have to learn. Now, one thing I didn't cover before is we we're talking about drawing the gun out of the holster. We're talking about gripping it correctly, marrying the two hands together, getting on target. And when you get on target, your hand should be in position to put that gun within, within a couple millimeters of being on sight. Basically, when you draw that one, that gun, marry the hands together, point it in the, in the direction you're going to shoot, those sights should be virtually lined up. If not, you're not gripping the gun right when you pull it out. You're not marrying your hands up correctly. And you can fix that. You can make that better. So, and there's another thing, very important. When you're practicing with live ammunition, when you fire, you pull your, you're going to draw your gun out of the holster, you're going to marry those hands, you're going to fire your rounds, you're going to put that gun back in the holster. One thing I can tell you is be extremely careful Take your finger out of the trigger guard, off the trigger, before you reholster that weapon. 
It's crucial. And I know you think, oh, what's the big deal? I've already fired. Well, if there's any rounds left in there, I've seen this, I've seen this happen. I've been right behind somebody doing this right in front of me. Running a competition, he was going to put his gun back in his holster, put the gun down into the holster, holster hit the finger, finger hit the trigger, boom, shot himself in the butt. Yep, like upper thigh, wherever it was. He got, you know, went in and out. It wasn't a bad wound, but still, it happened. I saw it happen. Saw the splash of the concrete as the bullet went through his body into the concrete, and he thought he was fine. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. And a little blood started seeping out around his his pants there, and, he's, and the range master pulled him aside and said, come on, let's go take a look at that. And it turns out, you know, he had ended up shooting himself because he didn't have his finger off the trigger when he went to put the gun back in the holster. The gun is just as dangerous if it's loaded no matter what position it's in. And again, finger off the trigger unless you're shooting or getting or on target ready to shoot. So that's something, you know, and that's something where you can learn from other people's experience. That's what the smartest, smart people learn from their mistakes. The very smartest people learn from other people's mistakes because let me tell you, there's not enough time in your life to make every mistake on your own. So you want to learn from other people's mistakes. That's the safest, easiest, least painful way to do that, especially when it comes to firearms. You know, there are rules in place for a reason. There are reasons we do certain things. Most of them have to do with safety or efficiency. And as you get better, as you learn more and more skills, you're going to have to learn how to do these things correctly. That's why if you're ever not up on target, that finger should be outside the trigger guard, along the side of the gun, nowhere near the trigger. And that's going to have to be something you're going to have to learn. And it's it's fairly easy. And it's funny because you see people who are gun people and you see them holding a drill and their fingers off the trigger because they know better. You know, it's kind of funny that that type of uh, mentality, that type of training transfers to other things, you know, until, you know, you're using the drill. You don't put your finger on the on the trigger switch until you're ready to drill something. Same idea. And it's funny. Staple gun, whatever it happens to be. You don't have your finger on the trigger until you're ready to use the tool. Whether the tool is a gun, a staple, a stapler, you know, a drill, whatever it is, you'll see that if if you pay attention to certain people, you can tell if they're gun people just by the way they use tools. And it's kind of funny because when you notice it, you're going to chuckle. You're going to go, "Oh, that guy's a gun guy because he's got his finger off the off the drill trigger." <laughs> and it, it's a habit that's good to learn. And once you learn it, it will affect other areas of your life, but not in a bad way. You know, you don't want to accidentally drill somebody. Well, uh, anyway, I'm going to leave that one where it lies. But keep your finger off the trigger when you're putting the gun back in the holster. Once you fire rounds, it's not over with, especially if it's a live weapon, especially if there are still rounds in the chamber. If there's a round in the chamber and bullets and ammunition in the magazine, Put it back in the holster carefully. Make sure that finger is nowhere near that trigger. Just one more thing to pay attention to. Like I say, it's a lot of information. It's a lot to learn, and it's a lot of skills. And you're not going to learn them overnight. It's going to take it's going to take time. And if you learn them correctly and practicing practice them until they're instinctual then you'll be much better off for it and it is a perishable skill i'm not saying if you don't shoot every six months you're going to lose everything you've learned but you can lose some of the finer details of what you're doing 
That's why I say a lot of these things can be practiced at home. It doesn't even have to be a real gun. If you've got a weapon, a simulator weapon, a you know, a plastic one of the airsoft guns or something in the holster for it, in fact, it would not be a bad idea to buy the airsoft version of whatever gun you carry and use that for practice. And there you could even get some firing practice because you could go into your backyard or basement if you have a trap or a way to, you know, collect the little plastic BBs. You can go out there and you can practice your draw and you're firing your first round. See how on target you are. See how good your grip is when you pull it out of that holster. All these things can be done. And an airsoft is a good way to do it because it's non-lethal and it's generally not that dangerous. Sure, you can put an eye out with it, but don't shoot an airsoft at somebody unless you're in a situation where that's required. There are airsoft battlefields all over the United States where people practice this and do this with the right equipment. Same thing with paintballs. You shoot paintballs at people. And, uh, you know, that's practice. You know, it's it sounds weird, but it is practice. You know, it's funny. You get out there and somebody on the first time on a paintball field, all of a sudden you hear the paintball splat on the opposite side of a barricade. They're sitting behind us. It's like a wooden barricade, and there's probably plywood on it. And it, you hear the rounds hit the other side of that plywood, and you'd be surprised. Some people's eyes light up like, oh, my God, they're shooting at me, and they panic. You know, it's really good practice to put yourself in a situation where adrenaline will have an effect on how you do things. And adrenaline will have an effect on your thinking, so you'll be able to get past that. You know, that that adrenaline that's running in you when you're under fire or you're in a situation like that, it's it's as close as you're going to get to really being under fire or with a force-on-force situation. Now, granted, there's no hand-to-hand combat in most airsoft battles, But it is enough usually to drive up your adrenaline, your heart rate enough to where it can give you a a mild sensation of what it's like if you're under fire or if you have somebody threatening you with a deadly weapon. It gives you a little bit of the sensation. So it wouldn't hurt to try that. You know, that's something that's always good training, any kind of force on force where you have some sort of potential to be, you know, shot with something, whether it be a paintball, an airsoft pellet, whatever it is, that gives you most some of the most realistic training you're going to get now there are training situations where you walk through houses and you actually shoot targets and they will have people there who will i guess instruct you as you go and again these people have to trust you these people will know which way you're supposed to go and you're going to start off slow you're going to go slow slow and steady because slow is smooth and smooth is fast If you know that, you know that. And that's what it takes. You want to eventually get to fast. But you're going to start by being smooth. You're going to start by being deliberate about every one of your movements. And every one of your movements should come in pieces. Like your holster draw, you're going to do the grip first. Then you're going to pull the gun out of the holster. Then you're going to marry it up to the other hand. Now, when you start doing this, it's going to take seconds of a, you know, a bunch of seconds to do this because you're going to do one or two seconds to get that gun out of the holster. You're going to marry it up with the other hand. You're going to get it up on target. That's going to take a while because you're going to do it slow, slow and smooth. Now, as you get more proficient, this will become almost instinctual and you'll be able to draw and shoot within milliseconds. It won't even be a full second. They'll say draw. You'll draw that weapon. You'll fire it and you will have done it in less than one second. That's key, but it takes time to get to that point. Don't try and rush yourself when you're learning anything with guns. You have to be 
careful every step of the way because there's no second chance if you make a mistake with a gun. Somebody gets shot, there's no second chance. There's no way to pull that back. You can't hit the reset button on that. That's why I say do this at home. Pull your weapon, get your grip on it, and do it until it becomes second nature and you make sure when you're up on target that finger is still off the trigger until you're ready to shoot. That's the key thing I can tell you. I can't beat that into anyone enough. I've seen too many accidents happen because people put that finger on the trigger as soon as it starts coming out of the holster. Not the way to do it. Incorrect. You want to, you could line it on the side of the frame and just have it slip into the trigger guard when you're up on target. But try not to get your finger in the trigger guard until it is up on target, which means you're going to grip, you're going to draw, you're going to marry your hands, and you're going to come up on target before that finger even gets close to the trigger. So these are things you can practice. These are things you can do. And like I say, start off slow and deliberate. Make sure every step is correct. If you know somebody who does this or competes, then you can Ask them for help. I'm sure most people are more than willing to help people gain training, especially if they're friends. Because most friends want their friends to be trained well in weapon use because, you know, when it comes down to it, if there becomes a situation (coughs) where there's a threat, there's safety in numbers. Numbers of like-minded people. Assuming these people are like-minded and they're friends, boom, there you go. You've got people to work with you. Because, like I say, crime is on the rise. Police employment is down. And it's it's going to be tougher and tougher to defend yourself, your family, your household. You're going to be the one who's going to have to be responsible for those first-time encounters. So be aware of that. Practice diligently, deliberately. Don't rush anything. Take your time. Learn proper habits. And that's about all I can tell you for now. But do do it. And if somebody needs your help, if they're a first-time gun owner, don't be afraid to help them out. Get involved. All right, everybody, I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you've been listening to America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.